everyone. Welcome to the 89th episode of the Invincibly Supermassive Comic Book Podcast of Stuff. I'm Tony Guerrero, editor-in-chief of ComicVine.com. And I really, I should just have this part like rec- pre-recorded so I don't have to do it each, each week. Um, I got Matt Inferior Eagle here. Howdy! And our special guest, Matt. Matt's a, a guest, not special. He's not really a guest. He works here. So um, we, we got Joshua Williamson. Hi. I thought you were like the co-host, Matt. I didn't realize you were also a guest this week. Well, I'm not always on this podcast. Yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. I mean, you know, it's, finding time to record podcasts is, you know, crazy. And Matt's got things to do. Or I got yeah. things for Matt to do. And so I thought you were like podcasts. the Andy. I thought you were the Andy Richter of the of the show. He's much better looking. <laughs> I don't know who that's insulting in that. <laughs> He's a good looking. Uh, yeah, you're also doing the wrestling podcast, right? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Nice. You should I should do that one with you at some point. You're gonna be one of our guests. You're on my list. All right, cool. Yeah, I'm a little behind on wrestling. I didn't watch Raw on Monday, but uh You're behind on wrestling. Think, I don't I don't think I missed anything. No, no. I'm I'm behind on wrestling. You're like twenty years behind, I think. <laughs> yeah. <don't> yeah. Like. <laughs> Last time I saw it was like when, when Mr. T and Cindy Lauper were in the ring. Oh, you're thirty years behind. <laughs> yeah, so you're thirty years behind. That's crazy. Now, I did go to a uh um I did go to a, a, a wrestling, what do you call them, a match? Wrestling match? Event. 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 It, was, yeah. it was at the Rosemont Horizon, I believe, in, in uh-huh. Chicago-ish. And, what year was this? Oh, uh, it must have been, it was in the 90s, I would say. Oh, my God. Um, I went with my wife and her, her brother. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't even know how, why, why or how we got the tickets, because it's not like we went out and bought them. But we yeah. just we got, came across these tickets, and we watched it, and I couldn't even tell you who was there i, I have that's no idea. disappointing yeah it's like <laughs> this is a horrible story yeah so i just remember there's one uh, i used to go to wrestling shows uh when i was in california all the time we would do uh, we would do these like two-day events where they would have these things where we would go and we would get like front row seats and uh, we would go for like indie stuff i mean back when i used to work for as you know i used to work for rvd a lifetime ago mm-hmm. um the professional wrestler and um, I used to get tickets from him to go to stuff. So I went to WrestleMania. I went to a bunch of house shows. Went to a bunch of Raws and SmackDowns. And whenever I see him now, he does offer if I want to get tickets whenever I'm in town or, you know. But uh, bef- even after that, after that, I started going to like, all these independent shows. And I would go into these things called PWG in California. And they would be in these like small-ass rooms that were like packed with like folding chairs. And I got to see all kinds of wrestlers that before they became like hot shit. And it was awesome. And it was pretty crazy. One time, one of the matches, like the main event started, it was going to be a three-on-three match. And they actually, Chris Hero, who if you watch NXT, was Cassius Ono. um, And a bunch of other guys, I'm like totally forgetting the names right now. Oh, Necro Butcher was in that. um, Who was one of the wrestlers that that was in the the, the wrestler, the movie The Wrestler. But um, the fight started, and it got so out of control, they actually left the building. And they ran outside in the parking lot in the rain and started fighting in the parking lot. That's crazy. And so the whole audience, like, we all got up and ran outside <laughs> to watch. And they were, like, slamming each other into cars. And I imagine they knew whose cars were whose. Uh, and picking up trash cans. At it, was, it was amazing. Like, you know, they planned that shit, but it was freaking amazing. And then they came back inside. And then I mean, everyone got their chairs again. It was awesome. They kept falling into the audience. Oh, it was great. It was great. Super Dragon was there. He was drunk or something whatever was going on or he just didn't care and he like just fell on top of my friend and he was a heavy dude 
Oh man, it was that was such a like a amazing. We did that a couple times. It was awesome. It was like the best way to go to a wrestling show. So you totally missed out, Tony. So I'm trying to tell you. Wow. The only thing I remember Shit. is um when one guy was like chasing the other and somehow like he started grabbing his shorts and you like saw his butt. <laughs> you go right to the butt memory. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the only thing. It's I, I, I remember. So it's like, okay. Right on. There you go. Let's talk about comic books. We should talk about comic books. Should we? Do we I should. You want because Nailbiter, Nailbiter came out yesterday. Last, last, yeah. last week. Last week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, see. Uh, but I, I think, should we, do you want to talk about the other book first? Birthright? Yeah, yeah. we can go about Birthright. Talk about Birthright. Yeah, we can go about Birthright first. That's what, that was the, that's the whole thing. Um, yeah, Birthright comes out on October 8th from Image and Skybound. It's uh, about this little kid who gets... Uh, oh, you guys, I know you guys have read it. No spoilers on this podcast. That's what I was going to say. It's like, yeah, how much are I you going to... So even if you guys hear me say something and you're like, wait, just leave it. Um, okay. So, uh, but this little kid who is kidnapped and taken to this fairy, like, fantasy land. Um, and he is told that it is his, his destiny. It is his life mission. It is his birthright to defeat this evil lord, save a princess, right? Rescue a kingdom, right? Like just all these different things, and and he does it, and then he comes back, and a year has passed in our world, and we kind of deal with that. And, and and the story is sort of, you know, as a kid, I love the Goonies, I love the Lion Witch in the Wardrobe, um, Neverending Story, Legend, Fly the Navigator, Explorers, like all these stories about these kids that go on these big adventures, and they just come home like nothing happened. And I've always wanted to do a story about like the consequences of that adventure, not only on the kid or the or you know kids, but or but the parents, right? Like they're what happened after. And I think that's one of the things that Image has done really well. And I, I've been thinking a lot about Walking Dead lately. And I think one of the things about Walking Dead that really works is it's about the people, and it's also what happens after the movie. It's after those stories. Um, and so that's what I was trying to do with this: is trying to create a story that takes place after those movies, after all those fancy adventure kids movies in the eighties that we all loved, this is what happens after that because you can't go on that crazy adventure. You can't go fight dragons and expect to be no consequences. Um, and of course there's some twists and turns in there, but that's essentially what this is about. It's about what happens after that big adventure and how you kind of, it's a new life for you because if you were told your entire life that you only had one purpose, that you had this thing that was your destiny after you accomplished that destiny, what do you do next? Um, and so the story is, is about that. Well, you gave away more than I thought, which I, I guess, yeah. you know, that's well, stuff's... I didn't give away the bigger, I mean, you guys know there's a couple bigger things. That yeah. Yeah. Can't but I, I mean, um, look, yeah. looking at the, cause you know, sometimes I, I'm, I'm not like fully aware, like what's out there and, and you know, mm-hmm. like what, what the publishers release and don't release that, but the, the preview in, in the back of uh, Nailbiter, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you would have no idea about, about any of that. I mean, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot about a kid going missing. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. We've been really picky about the spoilers. Uh, <laughs> like we, uh, cause there's a lot going on in that book. It's a, it's a, there's a lot. And, you know, I don't like using the word epic, but I tried to do something that was, that felt epic, that felt big. And um, like increasing the scope in comparison to where, you know, Ghosted is very much about Jackson and kind of his little uh, kind of crazy adventures he goes on and the nail biter at a small town. But this is this is much bigger. I feel like it's a much bigger story. Um, and it's funny. We yeah, like I've been warned about spoilers. Like I know what I don't want to spoil for people. And then we were doing the retailer project in San Diego and I talked about how it was a kid going missing 
and then he goes to this fantasy land and Kirkman kind of gave me this look of like you're saying too much mm-hmm. and I was like well they have to know he goes to the fantasy land and he's like mm, mm, I don't know <laughs> so I don't know I, I, I think it's a big part of the book I think it's important to talk about it yeah because um, I like when I was reading it I, I was jotting down some notes because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, planning on reviewing it Matt so I'm basically I'm calling dibs right here to Matt. I'm, I'm, I got you too. <laughs> Bam. Um, well, I'm glad you guys both have issue one and two then. Yeah. So, uh, um, so what I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I tried avoiding it. It's like, I had no idea what this book was about in, in, in San Diego. When, when you guys were doing the, the interview, uh-huh. I was like purposely like not listening. You know, I, I kind of, you know, was on my phone, had my back turned and you know, uh-huh. plus it was, you know, the end of the show. And cause I, I kind of like going into a book, not having any idea what, what it's about. Oh man, that's the best. And, and like, for, so for me, it's like, I had no idea that it's like kid missing. And then, you know, all, you know, everything that you just said, mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's weird, but I, I also see it on, you know, the other perspectives where people need to know, you know, they need that hook. It's like, you know, yeah. why, why should I buy this new book? And I mean, for me, it's like, you know, you're writing it. So it's like, I know what to expect, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I like those rare opportunities when you can just dive into a book and not know what's going on because it's it's so rare these days. Right. I think because um, when Josh, when we talked at San Diego and you told me about the book, even when you mentioned it right now or a few mm-hmm. seconds ago, uh, you present it in a different way and not in a bad way, but in a different way than the actual first issue plays out, even the second issue as well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. while I knew what was coming along because we did the, the interview, like I was still very – surprised and happy and i didn't feel like i was the solicit expanded you know yeah that's a big man i talk about that a lot with people about pitching and and solicitations and that you know your twist can't uh your twist can't be your hook yeah right like to use an example is you look at why the last man right like and i actually talked to brian k vaughn about this uh which was like the highlight one of the many highlights of san diego for me was getting to talk to brian k vaughn about about nailbiter and why the last man and talking about issue ones and how crucial issue ones are. And I think a lot of people don't realize how important it is. Um, I'm really annoyed when I read a book and I feel like I read the first issue and I'm like, I knew all this from the solicitation. Yeah. I knew all of this. I knew all this from the title of the book. And you look at why the last man and the title is the book, right? It's about this guy. It's the last man on earth, right? We know that, but that book's not about that. The, the no. twist of that book is about uh, Yorick looking for Beth, right? Like it's about, what was going on between them is their relationship. That's the twist. That's the part that gets you reading the next issue. I thought the twist was the twist was that there's a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to ruin too much of that book for people because the monkey is so important in the book. <laughs> the monkey itself is a twist. We can't get into that, but it keeps me never read why last man you should. But um, I mean, yeah, the big mystery is what happened to the men. That's a big part of it, but we knew that going in, right? Um, the, the bigger mystery is York and Beth and what was Beth doing when she was in Australia. And it's the same thing I think with Walking Dead. It's like, we know that book's about zombies, but that, that's not the twist. The twist is about the stuff with Shane and Rick and, you know, Lori, Carl, and, and the baby and all that stuff. Like, that's the stuff that was the, the important parts of that book. Um, and that's the same thing I was trying to do, and I was trying to keep that in mind when I was working on this, where it's like, we're going to present one thing, and then hopefully when you read it, you see there's more going on. A lot more going on. Yeah. That's our goal, at least. Let's see. I just, I just want to go off topic for a sec. Yeah, go for it. Something that I, I recently discovered. Um, mm-hmm. Did you know ampersand 
and people who read Why the Last Man know I'm, I'm bringing this up. Did you know that that was part of the alphabet? No. That the symbol? That, that, that it was like, it was actually, it was after Z. So it was like X, oh, Y, Z. And then, um, so in, instead of saying X, Y, Z, and, they would say, and per se, and. And then they oh. ended up combining it to ampersand. And then at some point they were like, yeah, we're taking it out of the alphabet. But I had no idea. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I learned uh, it recently. When I first met Brian, Brian K. Vaughn was when Wild Last Man had just come out like that year, that, that, that San Diego. It was kind of a really, a really weird, surreal moment for me because I was waiting in line to try and talk to Scott Doombear, who was the guy in charge of Wildstorm at the time. And I was waiting in line and there was this like bald man standing in front of me in line. And we both kind of got, well, in line or waiting, you know, kind of thing. We both got up to Scott Doombear kind of at the same time, but Brian had been a little bit ahead of me, so I kind of like, go ahead. I didn't know it was Brian. And he pulls out his card and he's like, my name is Brian K. Vaughn. I would love to work with Wildstorm, blah, blah, blah. And Scott was like, I know who you are. Yes, let's talk. Um, let me talk after this or whatever. Let me, like, give me a minute. And it was really funny. I always remember Brian K. Vaughn had this business card that said Brian K. Vaughn on it, but had a huge-ass hood logo on it, like <laughs> The Hood. Like, that was his business card, was The Hood by Brian K. Vaughn. Like, that was his big thing. <laughs> um, not Why the Last Man. All these other things we kind of known for, but it was such a weird moment. And it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm waiting in line to be an editor with this guy who is at that time was was already like a well-known huge writer it was a weird moment of like this is never gonna stop <laughs> like <laughs> i'm always gonna be in line when you talk to somebody in comics and when i saw brian we started talking about it and he was like yeah it's still like that it's still like that to this day you're always gonna be waiting in line to talk to somebody in comic that's just how it is no matter who you are where you're at there's always some kind of like above you you're always having to hustle on some form uh but at that time he we started talking a lot and uh, that 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 day and uh for whatever reason i asked him for a sketch i have no idea why i think i had like a copy of wireless man on me and i asked him to sign like the inside or whatever or something and he was like oh i don't know and he drew me a picture of a monkey like a really crude drawing of a monkey with an ampersand on its stomach <laughs> and it was like there you go and i didn't even realize it until like hours later it's like oh you drew an ampersand on there oh because the monkey's name is ampersand <laughs> Uh, I still have that. I found out the other day. But yeah, it was cool. I met him at San Diego this year. We ran to each other and started talking about Nailbiter and Why the Last Man. Were you in a, a very long conversation about issue ones. Were you in a line? I was not. Oh. I was at the Image, like, comic book wheel defense fund party. He happened to walk by me. And I still get nervous talking. There's certain people in comics I still get really nervous approaching. Um, and he's still one of them. Like, he's a guy that when I see him, I get nervous. When we announced the Bendis the the bendis and nailbiter thing mm -hmm. i was sitting between him and scott snyder and like i've known scott snyder for a while too and i'm close with scott snyder and i know him but um when we had the room was full of people and i knew we were announcing the bendis thing i don't want to mess it up and it was gonna be the first thing that we were going to talk about on the panel and i already told brian brian knew about it but it still kind of um made me nervous you know to like it was kind of a surreal moment of being on a panel of Brian K. Vaughn where he's sitting right next to me. It's very strange. And he knows who I am. It wasn't it was like one of those random encounter kind of things. Hmm. Um, yeah, but Birthright, you know, Birthright, <laughs> um, I'm really excited about it, man. And it's it's uh, intimidating to do a book that's a little different from what I normally do. I feel like tonally and, and in terms of the, the style of writing I do, I think it's the same. Like I have weird little ticks in my writing that I think some people pick up on that – that I do in everything. 
And I'm trying to do that with that. And we got lucky with Andre Brisson, who was a guy who had been doing stuff at DC but never took off. And he did a couple issues of uh, Charles Soule's Swamp Thing. And for whatever reason, it just never, like, DC's never really, you know, gave him, like, a chance, a bigger chance. I mean, doing Swamp Thing is not a, can't knock doing Swamp Thing, but uh, my editor at Skybound, his name is Sean McElwitz. He used to work at DC, and he always kind of knew of Andre's art. And so he came up, and we kept talking back and forth about whether or not we wanted to do who the artist was going to be. It took us forever, man. Like, we went through so many artists looking at people and talking to people, and uh, it never completely worked out. The closest, we actually were talking to Andre and Russell Dodderman at the same time. Oh, wow. And Russell and I were talking a bunch. We talked to New York about it. We were really going in, and he was like, you know, I just wrapped up Suburbia with uh, with Boom, and I really want to try and do some DC and Marvel stuff. And I was like, you know, I understand that. Like, I get it, you know, but I'd like to work with you down the line. And I knew, I knew it was going to happen. And I was like, oh, man, Russell's so good. Like, mm-hmm. He's going to get picked up by something, and they're going to yeah. run with him. And he did one issue with Nightwing. Which was amazing. <laughs> did, yes, and they started doing Cyclops, which made total sense. And they gave him Thor. So it was like, this is the path he was on, you know? Yeah. But we had been talking to him, and we were talking to Andre at the same time. We kept going back and forth. And I had been starting to lead to Andre because Andre's uh, energy is so... <sighs> he's crazy. Like, his emails are so funny. He likes to say, uh, rock the fuck a lot in his emails. <laughs> he's like a heavy metal guy. It's so funny. Like He's like this heavy metal, like hard rock dude. And he'll send me emails with... Um, all this like big time fantasy art or just music he wants me to listen to. And I'll go, we'll go back and forth. We send each other stuff of like art that we like and music that we like to kind of get us in the mindset of what we want to do. Uh, we talk a lot about how, you know, we want everything to kind of have a hint of like a heavy metal album cover feel. So there's a lot of conversations about that. Um, and he has so much detail. I don't know how he even does it, man. Like yesterday he got upset because he gave us, um, Yesterday, he got really upset because he gave us uh, one page instead of two. And he was like, oh, I meant to do two pages a day, and I, I am a failure. I messed <laughs> up, and we were like, it's fine. And then, of course, the other page was in our inbox at like 7 a.m. this morning. And so we were just like, dude, it's fine. <laughs> like, we're doing good. Like, I mean, we're going to be done with issue four by the time issue one comes out. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky with all the books I work on. We work on things like so super far ahead. Um and this is another case like that. I mean, that's what gives us the opportunity to send to you and to retailers and to websites, you know, to give them issues one and two of Birthright, because I think that's important to show. I mean, there's so many comics out there, like, one issue will come out. So disappointing. Drives me crazy. I want to show that we'll never do that. We'll always be on time and making the schedule work. Yeah, because that's the thing. I mean, it, it's... Yeah, like exactly like you said, you know, you, you see this, this first issue comes out, then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, there's a delay. And it's just like, and then, then the, when the next issue comes out, it's like you forget all about it. It's like, oh, yeah. Ugh, so annoying. So annoying. I don't understand how that happens. I don't know. I never get it. I feel like if, especially if it's, if it's doing well for you or you enjoy it, you know, like why would you let it fall behind? But um, yeah, but did you guys like Birthright? Was that for you guys? It was cool. Yeah, very good. It was alright. Yeah, it was alright. It was alright. No, I, I know it was really good. Good to know. Good um, thanks. No, what was good is, and again, obviously, I got to tiptoe with with what I say, but it, yeah. it's 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 almost like you have more than one type of book in mm-hmm. in in the one book. 
So, so yeah, because you know when when you look at everything, uh, and and again for people, it's like why do I, you know, why should I read this book? You know, why why should I get this new new thing about? You know, I don't have any idea. But that what what I think makes it stand out from other books is the fact that it kind of combines different genres or different you know yeah. types of storytelling. So and and then obviously there's some twists and some. So it's like you know you're gonna want to see like what what the heck's going on. So I really like that how it's combining different things and again I, I don't want to say too much yeah that's my favorite thing to do i really love doing like obviously if you look at my work i combine stuff i mean you look at ghosted and it's crime horror and masked mobs are just superhero and crime and it's probably with, with nailbiter i mean nailbiter is pretty much horror i don't know i feel like there's a little bit of comedy there like with black humor and a little bit of you know thriller i don't know it's kind of weird i don't think it's it's really weird i don't we had the we were putting the trade together and they asked us to put the genre on the back of the book. And I was like, well, I guess we just put horror, right? Like, we put thriller, you know? I mean, is, is horror cover the bases? You know, is that, does that work? Um, but yeah, I really like mashing things together. I like doing different stuff that isn't so, I don't know. I, I really like mashing stuff together and seeing what happens with mm-hmm. genres. And that's the thing with Birthright. It's fantasy and it's also like a family drama. It's kind of a mystery. You know, so it's been fun putting it together and seeing how those worlds interact with each other. Yeah. And, and, and again, the thing is, you know, you, you need to try to do, you know, you don't want to do something that that's been done over and over and over again. Yeah. That was a danger with this. I kept running into that. I kept thinking about that a lot about the fantasy world stuff. And the funny thing is when I'm, you know, I can admit a little bit, we could talk about there's, there's a lot of fantasy world elements. Um, whenever I'm writing the fantasy world element stuff, it is really easy to fall into sort of the, the stuff I've seen before. Um, but I still try to find my own twist on it. And in some ways, there's a weird, there's an odd comfort to the fantasy stuff, uh, where it's the easier, it's the easier of the stuff to write has been the fantasy stuff because there is sort of a path to fall into a little bit. There is sort of a tone, almost at the level of tropes. Like, I really like playing with tropes. I know people don't like tropes, and everyone freaks out every time they recognize the trope, but uh, I love them. I like seeing them, and they're, they're, they could be used as a storytelling device to mess with expectations and to mess with what's expected. And I think people need to start to recognize that. But anyway, I fall into those things a little bit, and I have to kind of, you know, swim my way out of it and not get too deep into it. But I really like writing some of the fantasy stuff just because I like writing these big scenes. You know, I like giving these these sort of epic uh, fantasy stuff that we're doing, and it's and and building to other bigger bigger fantasy things like big set pieces i love writing scenes that have humongous set pieces i freaking it's one of my favorite things to do is explaining these like this crazy stuff there's an issue with ghosted coming down the line god it's far away from now but um there's gonna be like this uh humongous temple it's not the same temple we saw in the first issue six through ten it's a different one it's in a graveyard mm-hmm. and writing that stuff and playing it out, I'm like, oh man, that's just going to be so awesome. Like just the ideas of it and, and working it out and talking with the artists of, of sort of this, this big story, this big story point, this big set piece. Like I just really like doing set pieces. And I think that's the birthright. It really works with Andre too, because he gets it. He gets sort of that idea. He gets the idea of doing these, this big stuff. And he loves to go crazy and drop, you know, like a lot of stuff. He will fill every page. Like I always joke, like there will never be like a negative space used in our book. It's cause every panel and every page is so filled, uh, <laughs> which is stuff, which is cool because I think it adds to the way that book looks. It'll add to the style of it. 
Now, that's one of my as a reviewer biggest pet peeves is when it, I call it disappearing backgrounds where you have like this great set, oh, yeah. and then it starts goes into a close up and it's just a you know orange background with the character upset. You know that I, so it's refreshing to see artists mm-hmm. really just pack in detail into backgrounds like that. Yeah, he loves to draw those backgrounds, man. It's, it's insane. Yeah, that was the thing. Like John Byrne would do that a lot. You know, because I, I love John Byrne. I, I still mm-hmm. love his stuff to this day. But there's so many times, you know, you'd see all because he would do like the crazy, insane backgrounds and detail mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. rubble or machinery. And then every once in a while, you'd see like these just floating heads in, yeah. in empty backgrounds. Yeah. Sometimes I think it works if you plan the dialogue right. Like there was a thing, I'm trying to remember what it was. I was working on something recently and we were going back and forth on the the art of it. And we were talking about the backgrounds. I don't know what book it was, but we were going back and forth about something, and I was like, yeah, but all that's going to be filled with balloons. Like, I know that. Like, I'm looking at it. Because when I go over art, I always pull the script up at the same time and have them both side by side. I go back and forth and try to see in my head, like, where the balloons are going to be placed. And I really think about, like, well, like, don't go crazy on this with backgrounds. Like, make sure the environment's there. Like, make sure they're not all of a sudden floating in space. Um, but at the same time, I think there's, I think... Sometimes not having backgrounds can be used for drama. Like there's a scene in Ghost of Ten where Trick, uh, you know, when Trick gets killed, right? Mm-hmm. And boo on you, by the way. What's that? It said boo on you, by the way. Yeah, I know. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, man, you're gonna. It's gonna get harder for you. <laughs> Ugh, I'm quitting. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give everything one star from now on, Josh. <laughs> uh, you'll see. I don't know. It's funny. The stuff I'm planning in the book is is like I don't know. It gets me a little teary eyed. Anyway. Um, so there's a scene where Trick dies, and it was just there's no background, it was just white, and we kept going back and forth on that a lot. And he kept on putting like red and all these different colors, and I was like, no, 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 man, blank, like yeah. let's just have it be Trick, just blood splatter on white. That's all we need. And uh, Ghosted came out yesterday, but you haven't read it yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there's a, there's a page in there where a character is holding something up. I don't want to say what it is yet, but he's holding something up that ties into an earlier issue a couple issues before. I'm hoping it's a surprise people actually like read the you know read the book. But he's holding something up that immediately will remind you of something that happened earlier in the book like a couple issues before. And we kept going back and forth on the colors of it, and I was like, no nah, man, white. Like, just cut the background color out. Just have it be this thing because I wanted to make sure there was no confusion as to what that person was holding, and it really popped off the page. So sometimes I think it works. But not always, and it shouldn't be used as a crutch or a laziness or hacking it out. It should be used for storytelling purposes. Mm-hmm. I think that's when it works. But you know, like, I think a good example of that um, is when colorist Marcelo Mayo—I can never pronounce his last name—when mm-hmm. he works on stuff like uh, he's on Justice League United right now and Green Lantern mm-hmm. Corps. Like he'll do that for like a, a kind of this you know, epic scene where it's just one scene, there's a shocking scene and, you know, the focus is just, it's a red background. Yeah. So he does that. Yeah. It makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it adds to the, it adds to, it makes it pop, you know? Yeah. I like, I like stuff like that too. when you can add those kind of things. Um, yeah. Thanks for giving, uh, nail biter a really good review. It was really oh, good. Oh, you're welcome. I really enjoyed it. Thanks man. I get nervous every, I was telling my girlfriend this morning about it. I've been this morning. I've been last night. We were talking about how like all the books I work on for whatever reason, um, like I usually take Wednesdays off, like I go to the comic shop, go get lunch, whatever. Uh, but with my schedule lately, I've been able to. And one of the reasons why I take Wednesdays off, probably because I like comics and I want to go buy my comics and yeah. just kind of relax. Um, but it's also because of 
the response to books sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's weird. Like, most books, I don't really care about reviews. Like, I, not care is the wrong word. I don't get touchy about them. Mm-hmm. Except for with Nailbiter. Nailbiter, I don't know if it's because it's a really personal book to me, or uh, maybe it's, it's, I think it's the most read thing I've ever done easily. Um, but I get a lot more touchy <laughs> yeah. about that one because I don't know. I feel like I want to make, I, I was thinking about not letting people down, you know, I was having this like, obsession with letting people down. And so with that book, like, I think we put so much work in a nail biter that I always want to make sure people enjoy it. Like we put so much into it, you know, and everything, we really think everything through and we talk about stuff a lot. I and mean, that's the thing, like with, with nail biter number five, it opens originally that opening scene was going to be in color. It looks uh, so well in black and white, though. Right? It just worked. Because we were talking about, there was actually a thought, because I wanted to make sure that when we transitioned from the flashback to, there's like, it's three back, it's two flashbacks in a row. Because you have him and Warren talking, and then you have him getting his, Carol getting his hand cut off. Yeah. And then you have him in the hospital. And I was like, I need to find a way of differentiating these three scenes. And we were going to do the one that was Warren, or, I'm sorry, Carol getting his hand cut off. We were going to do that as black and white, and I was like, man, man, no, no. And look at that opening sequence, and I was like, you know what, we'll put this black and white and red. And uh, we talked about it a lot, and we ended up messing with the, the shading of it to make sure it worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, like, I looked at it, and I'm like, yeah, this, this was good. This was a good choice. Like, this works out really well. That way it could separate that from him getting his hand cut off. You don't think it's, you don't think, I don't want people to think that it was Warren cutting his hand off in the interrogation. Yeah. I wanted to make sure we were able to separate out these things. Um, and so yeah, we were able to we were able to do that, and I'm glad people picked up on that and and liked it. Uh, I mean, because yeah, I mean, we put so much into Nailbiter; it's crazy. Like that book keeps me up at night. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I get so stressed out about things. My girlfriend has read six. She read six already, and we had like some long talks about that and and what works and what doesn't work with it, and and because um, you know my girl, we talked about before. She has a bachelor's in criminal behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we, you know, we get into sort of the psychology of stuff. Yeah, last Friday I went to breakfast with her and her mom, and they were talking a little bit about that stuff. And I was like, man, like they know shit, like they know what they're talking about. I'm just kind of guessing, you know, like, like I know some stuff. Like I'm big time armchair about my opinions on on serial killers and my knowledge of them. I know some stuff. I know the history, some things, but they're really into like the the minds of it. Like they know it much better and, and the and the terms and the wording of things. Um, but with uh, with Nailbiter Man, yeah, and I'm really excited too. Like this this Bendis issue, I'm so freaking happy with the Bendis issue so far. Um, it's oh man, I'm really excited for that one and see what people think of it. Thanks for um, answering those questions, by the way. I know I have it right here. It's funny. I don't the way I work my to do list. Like I, I have like multiple to do lists, but I always have uh, anything that needs to be done is always still open. Like whatever the last email from that person is, it's always in my inbox, right? Mm. And so I have it right there. And it's one of the, it's like the last like older emails I have now because that was from July. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I'll do is I'll answer them and then we'll just use those for when the FOC for issue seven is coming around or when the book actually comes out, one or the other. But I'll give you guys, I'll give you guys copies of the seven ahead of time if you want. Because yeah. uh, we're I, almost I, done having it lettered and everything. I don't know if remember if those questions are... If they're relevant, yeah, they're like they'll work. We can we can look at them again if you want. We can go back and forth. I still remember like when when I first heard about it. I I thought that Bendis was going to be the victim. Well, don't give that away. 
Everybody keeps thinking that we're gonna like brutally. I mean, dude, it's so crazy. Like I've had people on on. Uh, I feel bad because you know I know Ben is similar street. He's a family man. You know, four kids, wife, nice life. And then I get people online who are just like, I can't wait for you to murder Ben. <laughs> well, there's 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 something about about being killed in in a, in a comic. You know. What's that? There, there's something about, about being killed in a comic because you know because sure. you've been killed in a comic. Well, well not just because of that. Because um, Josh, well, I, I, I've been killed in a comic. Too. Yeah, and you know, you know, James Syme from yeah. I, I stopped because yeah. he's been killed a couple times at least. You mm-hmm. know, he you know he had his his big role in um not big role but he was in Invincible. But I think he was killed yeah. in an issue of Detective Comics, and there's like something yeah. else. So I mean, there there's there's something about that, and I I think also with the idea that you know comic characters don't really die. I mean, you know, um, well, if you look at if you look at uh, the powers issue, issue seven of powers that the Warren Ellis, the ride along, um, there's a misconception out there. And I've talked to people about it. They think that Warren Ellis dies in that issue. And he doesn't. He, he escapes, but he goes into hiding like Warren Ellis goes into hiding and then he starts publishing powers after that. And like his version of powers by Warren Ellis. And he's uh, yeah, he's been in hiding. Like those guys talk about at the end of the comic, the two guys in the comic books where they talk about how Warren Ellis went crazy and went to hiding. So he did not, uh, he didn't die. And I think a lot of people thought because Warren Ellis, they thought he died, that we were automatically going to kill Bendis. But I want to give it away. There's stuff, there's stuff that happens I think is deeper than that. Like Bendis, Bendis and Warren, um, the nailbiter, have a conversation. They have a confrontation that gets heated that is like one of my favorite things I've ever written. Um, like it's just the two of them like arguing they're arguing at a playground with kids around and uh and bendis thinks that he is protecting these kids from warren um and they start arguing about stuff i don't want to tell you what the argument's about because i think that's one of the surprises of the book but what they're talking about but um it's a lot of fun like i'm really happy with it all right then you you don't have to answer this if you don't want to but yeah is is bendis riding a bike as he enters hell yeah he's riding a bike (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's riding a bike. It opens with him riding a bike. Uh, he, uh, it's funny because I, you know, I send Brian everything, and then he he messaged me. He's like, "Can I post this picture of me on the bike online?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course." Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The only thing is, is, I know there's like Bendis usually wears sunglasses and headphones when he's riding his bike, and he's not wearing sunglasses or headphones um, in 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 this book. He's just kind of like smiling and having a good day on his bike on a nice sunny day, riding into Buckaroo, Oregon. Well, that that's how uh, you, you distinguish that it. it's 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 a uh, comic book Bendis. That's right. Yeah, this is this is Ultimate Bendis. So that way you you can do whatever you want or not. Sure. I don't know. Well, you'll see. You'll see. I didn't want to get. Yeah, you'll see. I'm really happy with this issue. I don't know. It turns out really well. And it's funny because like six and seven uh, are important issues because they build on the mystery of what's happening, uh, and they kind of deal with that world and sort of what's been going on with it. But then we get back to eight and eight is like hit the ground running again. It's all kinds of screwed up stuff happening. We haven't released the solicitations for eight yet. Have we, or that's going up. I think it goes up next week. So I can tell you what it is. Issue eight is the bees issue of nail biter. It's when they, it's when Finch starts realizing that there's a lot of bees in Buckaroo. Mm. And then he time. got stung. Yeah. It was the first issue. I know, man, I plan things out. <laughs> I read this thing the other day where somebody was like, oh, I wonder if they have this like nailbiter planned out and if they're really going to be able to answer everything. And I was like, oh, please. <laughs> like everything we put. I mean, it's funny. There's a, there's a line, uh, 
Hank in issue one when he's getting beat up by a Finch. He's like, "Do you know who my dad is?" And then Finch is like, "I don't care." Like, he's beating him up, and like that hasn't come up yet. Well, that'll come up in issue eight. <laughs> you know, like Hank got murdered, and his dad is somebody important. So we'll we'll get back to that. Um, I like doing that in my books. I mean, everything I do is like that. Let's like ghosted. Like we talk about how in Ghosted, the last page of issue eleven had the Grim Reaper's shadow behind Jackson. And then if you go back and look at issue one, the Grim Reaper is yeah. standing behind Jackson at the last page. Like, everything is always planned out. Everything is sort of dropped. And, you know, there's there's reasons why we do things. I mean, you look at issue 10, issue 10 of Ghost had ended with the reveal that uh, Jackson was, or sorry, that Marcus was still alive. Yeah. But he had that scar on his face. If you go back and look at the end of issue five, you never actually see Marcus die. You see him get attacked, but you don't see him die. And so it's like there's a reason that that was on purpose. Um, and I, that's how I like doing all my books. I like having these sort of charts of like, I'm going to drop this hint here, and then you're going to see it over here. You yeah. know, well, yeah. I, I was surprised in Nailbiter 4 that mm-hmm. Carol showed up right away. Or not right away, but. Yeah, that they found his body. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I wanted to. That was something that uh, originally. So way back when, when uh, this book was, we were talking to Vertigo about doing Nailbiter, it was going to be revealed that Carol was alive on the last page of issue one. Hmm. Um, and they was getting tortured. And I kept going back and forth with that. And I was like, nah, it's not working. And, and I realized that I wanted to have the first trade. There, you needed something, right? Like I needed to answer one of the big questions. Because there's big questions, right? There's mm-hmm. the like, how is Warren free? How is what what is the deal in the town? Where is Carol? Um, and there's like other questions, you know, sprinkled out throughout that first issue. But there are like some of the big ones. And one of the biggest ones is Carol is missing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like to have a satisfactory first end of the first arc, I needed to answer that. And so that's why I was like, OK, well, at the end of issue four, we're going to reveal that Carol is alive. He's just been you know missing his arms and legs, but he's alive. Now he's in a coma. And so now the question is, it's not where is Carol? Now we know where Carol is at. The question is, who did this to him and why? Um, and then what happens when he wakes up from that coma? Because he still knows what happened, right? He still knows the secret. And so eventually he's going to, you know, we'll do a thing where there's a ticking clock there of like, well, what happens when he wakes up? You know, like what's what's going to be the thing? What's he going to say when he wakes up? And we'll eventually deal with that. Um and he knows something. He knows something much worse than the secret of the town. So I'll, I'll leave it with that. <laughs> See, that that's what, one of the things I think is interesting because I, I was thinking that, uh, the, like his his disappearance, you know, where he was, that that was going to be like mm-hmm. like a, a longer story, you know, mm-hmm. you know, just like waiting till that that moment where you find out, and then so now that they found him. And, and you know, and what you said at that, you know, there's there's more going on. So it's 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 kind of like throwing me off, which is is great because, you know, I I don't want to really know like what's coming up and expect it. Mm-hmm. So you're you're doing the unexpected. Thanks, man. We're trying, dude. That's that's our been our thing with that book is to sort of keep playing with things. You know, when I was in Bendis's class, uh, when I was in Bendis's class at PSU, we talked about that a bunch about how you want to, you know, go beyond the cliche, go beyond the expected. You because I think a lot of times when you're writing, you you are your audience. And so your first thought is sometimes the same thing the audience will think. And you have to kind of keep that in mind. I know a lot of people out there, they don't like to anticipate the audience. 
I don't anticipate the audience, but I try to definitely, I don't know, I write for myself, you know, and it's like, if this is my first thought, maybe I should, I need to push it somehow. I need to go past it a little bit um, and try to mess with those expectations and build things. But also I like doing that. I like, I like uh, building reactions in my writing. And so I, I love pulling the rug out from underneath people. And I think having Carol come back like that, you know, so quickly definitely pulled the rug out from other people. Yeah, that's for sure. If you weren't alone, a lot of people thought that. A lot of people thought that Carol was going to be like a very long thing. Yeah, because uh, now it's like, it's like, oh, the series is almost over. So far from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to somebody and they were like, again, they were like, oh, I'm really worried that you're going to be able to wrap stuff up. And I'm like, oh, please. Like, I have, we, there's a plan. It's all layered out. Um, and still, you got to figure out what it is exactly that the mystery is. And then, then there's, there's a there's a much much bigger secret slash mystery that we haven't got into yet um, that we'll get into depending on how sales are going. I mean, sales are good right now um, in the teen issues. Oh, that's crazy! Like Mike and I, we sat down in San Diego and we're working out a lot of the stuff we were planning on doing for the future of the book, and we were talking about stuff that happens at the end of ten that goes into eleven and twelve. That I was like, man, I want to write all this stuff right now. I want I want I don't want to write right now. I want to come out right now. You know, like I want people to see some of this stuff. I want people to see the reactions of like, oh shit, um, of what's of what's coming, and see when, you know, kind of what's going on with our story. It's really, I don't know. It's really exciting. It's been a lot of fun writing Nailbiter and seeing people's reaction online and and talking to people about it. And it's crazy how many people freaking love serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> was a little surprised a little yeah. surprised a little little yeah you uh, know, uh, now is, is it a how does the feeling compare like when you know when your first issue of nailbiter came out or i don't know if you have physical copies you you probably don't have physical copies of birthright yet right no uh, but so so what's the feeling like when you have that first issue compared to when you have the first trade is it like a, oh, a different man. feeling it's when I get the first issue in the mail, I usually get it. I usually get it the week before it comes out, maybe two sometimes. It is nerve wracking. I mean, it is such a stressful experience to open a book up and flip through it for the first time. Uh, a lot of times, Image uh, or your publisher will get a book before you even. They'll get they'll get like one copy of a book ahead of time to make sure. You know, they get they get the guts of it. They get the a printer proof in the mail and it's so insanely yeah it, it it's gut-wrenching you know like you're just you're looking at it and you're like oh my god please have no mistakes please have please nothing please nothing and i have found mistakes in books that have been published and been like i guess we're screwed nothing we could do about it but um you know i i got ghosted i was so happy it was all there all worked and then i got um the trade and so to answer your second part of that question, the trade was such a a moment of peace, like an accomplishment, you know, because for me, we, we've talked before, like you guys know this, like I'm still a big time nerd, you know, like I still buy comics all the time. I get stacks of stuff. I mean, I just ordered like dollars worth of books this morning. Um, I'm always dropping a ton of money on comics every week and I'm always buying hardcovers and books and I, I still really like this and there's still that part of me that you know my career has been such a roller coaster ride that the ghosted trade I mean the nail biter the, the 
Mass Mobster's hardcover was definitely like a feeling of accomplishment. But there was something about the Ghost of Trade, that first one, that I felt like that was me as a writer, you know? That um, was the culmination of so many things I had kind of gone through in my career to finally have that. It it meant a lot to me. Um, and so when I get the trades, a lot of times, yeah, there's a feeling of peace, a feeling of like, okay, cool. Like, this is real. This exists. I did it. Okay, now I got to do it again, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, man, when I get those, I'm I'm super nervous about the first um, issue of Birthright. I mean, it's such a packed issue. There's like so much in that first issue because it's 40 pages. I mean, the story's 30, but there's like a bunch of stuff in the back. It's extra stuff that we're doing, so it's gonna be 2.99 for this like 40 page book of awesomeness. And uh, I don't want anything to go wrong with it because like, we we put so much work into this thing, you know, like we've been working on it forever. I came up with the idea for Birthright back in 2007. And have slowly been working on it. Um, started talking to publishers about it two years ago. Um, I decided to go with Skybound. I want to say it was April of last year, April of 2013. Uh, I started writing it that summer. You know, I finished a script over a year ago and for this first issue. And we went through so many revisions. I mean, we really worked hard to make that script good. And we talked, you know, like, again, we spent six months looking for an artist. And talking to artists and seeing who would work and and we spent so much time on the layouts and the roughs and uh, so there is that part of me that is like i should be getting i'll probably get the yeah i'll get the birthright number one in probably about three or four weeks and uh yeah it's nerve-wracking to think about like it makes me think of all this stuff and I ha- it's really out of my hands right now you know like it's just production stuff at this point mm-hmm. um I mean, because you guys have read it, you know, we finished that. We finished the letters on that thing like months ago. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's just like it's nerve wracking to try and make sure we can really uh, make it good. You know, we, we want to make it good for people. Now, what about when you're like at a bookstore? Do you ever like move your position, your your book in a different? Oh, no, 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 no. no. I would totally no. do that. I have done oh, that. Man, no. I, I have done that with obviously with with, you know other people's books like something i really mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. i was like ah, this should be up on a top shelf not that other one there's a weird thing sometimes we go and you see stuff that you're like oh god like why is that at the top you know and that was my book but other books where i'm like this book is way better this book you know yeah. but that's what that story is they must know something i don't know about their store their demographic or their location whatever you know like i'm, I'm hoping they know what sells or maybe someone you said it's at bookstores but someone what? might might have just been like you know pulled a book out and it's like oh i'm just set it up here Oh, no, that's still in my brain where I will, like, I can tell when a book's out of place. I was at the comic store yesterday. Yesterday? Yesterday. And I saw a book that was out of place and I went and put it back. Like, I'll still do that just because that's, like, you know, in my blood from working at a comic book store for, like, nine, ten years. Uh, like, that'll always be a part of me to make sure books are where they're supposed to go. Um, but it's interesting when I go to bookstores and I see what's what's on the rack and stuff. And sometimes I'll be, like, I wonder about Ghosted or, you know, what's going up there and what isn't. Um what sold out and, and trying to, you know, keep my, my stuff in some kind of spotlight. Uh, and I'll talk to the stores. Um, I think with nail buyer though, I mean, I think that trade, I'm hoping we sell well, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, cause we're not taking a break, you know, we're, we're going to keep pushing through and issue six, um, comes out the same day as the trade. So I'm really hoping we can push a lot of those, push a lot of those trades. I mean, we're still doing well, but I wish we could do, I think we could do better. You know, I think we can still get out to more people, and I think that trade will help us out a lot. Um, 
I mean, it's crazy right now. I mean, you know, like October, I have six books coming out in October. Jeez. So it's Birthright, Birthright, uh, Ghosted, and Nailbiter. And then I have Captain Midnight, Predator, and Robocop. You're, you're just trying to like hog the, the whole market. Dude, there was a time. There was a time when in December of this year, I was going to have 11 comic books on the rack. And then something got moved back. And so now I think there's only five books, six books, five books in December. But there's a possibility next year I might have 11 books in the same month, maybe. It's going to be crazy. Uh, That's just to show you why I don't sleep at night and why I've started drinking coffee, even though I've never drank coffee in my entire life, except for now. Like I'm literally, I'm on, I'm on day four of having coffee. <laughs> First time in your life. I've drinking coffee, you know, like when you're out, like, I mean, I've, I've had coffee. I've had people give me coffee when I've been hungover. I've had yeah. coffee, um, like occasionally I'll go and I have probably had coffee amount of like 10 times in my life. Seriously. Like really? I remember having a couple, like little bits of coffee when I was in high school, never really, never drank it in college. Didn't really drink it in my 20s. Um, you start doing a lot of meetings with people and you start getting coffee. Um, and I would always get something else, right? So it's like, I know... And ironically, a lot of times the coffee I'd always get was always in October for some reason. Um, but... Uh, so I'd always get like a pumpkin spice latte or something. But... <laughs> so I, I've maybe had like coffee 10 times in my entire life. Maybe more, maybe. But it's like debatable. I've had coffee every day this week. And it is so weird. I don't know how you guys do it. It's so strange. But it's helped me out because I was just a slow starter. And I need to, like, I have to be able to wake up and immediately get to work in the morning. And I've been doing this new system of I wake up every day and no matter what, I write for four hours in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do, like, gradual writing throughout the day, outlines, you know, stuff like this. Um, and then do emails and things like that. And do notes. Like, I'll get notes from editors i'll take care of those in the afternoon and they do a little bit of writing but to help me get those four hours like knocked out and done every day uh yeah coffee hmm. yeah i don't know how charles soul does it i don't know how he does the i mean i read his thing of it and it's i mean i've, I've come to this conclusion that charles is a genius that's just what it is you know like he's uh you know one of those people who's just a genius because you think about it, that guy still has his day job and writes yeah. comics like yeah. that's insane i couldn't i couldn't do that like my brain doesn't function that way but which he's got a day job where he's the head of something too. Yeah, which is yeah. insane. Of his firm, right? Yeah, yeah, and he's the head Wolverine killer, right? So it's like, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. I actually read that issue last night, and I really liked it—the death of Wolverine yeah. issue. It yeah. like hit all the right beats for me. I was actually really just, I was going to email him, and I forgot. I it held the right beats for me, it, and I got the like deluxe version, which I didn't realize had a bunch of extra stuff in the back. I think they're all like that. Are they? Because when, yeah. when I got to the middle, I was disappointed that it was over. I was that, like, that's oh, what, what I, I, well, I mentioned when I reviewed it because you're, you're, it's like a regular size issue, but mm-hmm. you're forced to pay the extra dollar. It's cool, you know. It's great material. Like that yeah. interview with Len Wein was was awesome, and and then the yeah, it's cool stuff. Those kids scripts in the back and all the art is really neat. Like it's 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 definitely a really cool thing. But definitely coming off guard where I got to the end and I'm like, oh cool, and then I went to the page and I'm like, wait, what? Like this is it? Yeah. Um, but it was a good issue, you know. Uh, but I think about that sometimes too, about like how people do their schedule. And uh, yeah, Matt Fraction was the one that actually told me about the four hours thing, and so I've been I've been doing that. 
Um, and it works out well. It's helped me out a lot getting getting back ahead. Because San Diego kind of messed me up a little bit. But, you know, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Next year is going to be interesting. <laughs> interesting. A lot of books. A lot of books. But it's fun. I, I can't complain. And it's not like I'm doing anything that I'm not happy with, you know. Um, everything I've been doing has been really cool. We have some questions from yeah, go for it. Some people. So this is from Don Francis. He says, mm-hmm. "Dear Josh, how was the writing process for the Craftsman-sponsored Justice League one-shot a different writing experience than your other work?" Oh, um, so when I did that, it was very different because when you're doing a lot of licensed stuff, you have to be kind of aware of what you're doing. You have to be aware of sort of the. You have to be aware of that you're writing is for a mass audience, but also there's a good chance a lot of kids involved. Like, it's really G. It's not PG. It's really G. It's all ages. Uh, but at the same time, same time, you don't want to dumb it down. So with that, um, we went back and forth a lot with uh, Craftsman and with DC about the storyline and kind of what we wanted to do. And they really wanted to do a story where he saved the Justice League by fixing things inside the Watchtower. That was their thing. And we kept going back and forth on bad guys. And eventually I sit on the, on the key. And I love that issue of Justice League where Green Arrow is trapped in the watchtower with the key. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about that a bunch. And then we just sort of moved forward on it. And I didn't spend as much time as I do on my, on my stuff with it. Because a lot of times with those sort of books, there is a little bit of um, going by the dots. You know, connect the dots with it. Because you know what it's a god, it's such a different experience. Because your client isn't your editor in this case; your client is a company, and so you really are aiming to what your client wants and gearing toward that. And that's why for a while I was doing so much of that DC licensing stuff that was like that, those custom publishing things. Because I used to be an art director, and so I know what it's like working with clients, like directly with clients, and having to do what your client wants, but at the same time trying to make sure it's good. Um, and so with that, I was just making sure I did what the client wanted which is not at all how I would normally do my stuff. My stuff is what I want. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I guess that is weird to, to, to think about that, how it's, you know, you're, you're writing these characters that, you know, you've written before and people know, but mm-hmm. you kind of have to do a different take and, or just, I guess, just be aware of like, you know, you don't want to, you know, you need to condense their, their history or their origin. Like, you know, just take the character as what everyone would know to appeal to, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all the audiences so yeah, this is, I never, never really thought about that it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic doing that stuff because I also did the ones for General Mills you know I did those General Mills comics um, those are different because I have a lot more freedom on those and that's really me just doing you know super all ages fun adventures where I'm like you know Superman and Aquaman fight Rachel Cool and Black Manta on Dinosaur Island and fight monsters like you know it's it's just my opportunity to tell a quick little fun story and I try to have a little bit of humor um, that on some levels is almost a meta humor with those books. Um, yeah, those things are so different. I, I'm not doing any more of those. I don't think I plan on doing any more of those in my career. Uh, it's just the direction and the type of books I like to do. But they're a whole other kind of challenge. It's such an interesting experience. I think a lot of writers probably should do. It does help you. I think it helps you become a better writer. Yeah. Although I have to say, I remember when they had the, I think it was the Subway one. Oh man! Or maybe it was a crest. There's one. I think it was a subway where. Yeah, it was like subway ones. Because it it seemed like it was it was so it was like in so many issues. So it's like you're reading, and all of a sudden, there's this thing. It's like I've already read this, 
and now here so, it is well, again. Well, here's the thing with those stories that, that I don't think a lot of people know, and this isn't bashing DC at all, but you know, you're working for a client. Like, I mean, it's their thing, and I don't, you don't own those characters, and they really have a they have a mission with those books, right? Like, they have a thing they want to do, and so a lot of times they'll tell you what to say. You know, like I'll do, you know, back when I was doing those, like the subway one, they'll go back through and they'll change your dialogue. But that's their business. That's that's that that is theirs, you know, and that, that is their prerogative to do that. They're paying you to let them do that. And those things pay I think no one talks about those things pay a lot more money than doing let's say you're working on like a normal DC book and then you do a license thing. Those things pay a lot more money. And so with with that, the reason why they're paying so much money is there's a good chance they're gonna go through and they're gonna be like, We wanna change all this dialogue to be this. And you're just like, okay, all right. And that's the thing with the Subway ones, the General Mills ones. The General Mills ones actually aren't so much like that, but the Subway ones, the ones they do for the Craftsman one, um, you know, again, they're, you're, they're the client. They know what they want, and you got to just do it. Um, but it's also why people like me will then go and take that energy that we have and make create our own comics but and do whatever we want with those things. I'm, I'm talking more that how many like different issues, like how many weeks it ran. Oh my Whereas God. It's like, yeah. I read it and then here it is again. And here it is again. Here it is again. Yeah. They didn't tell us that it was going to be the case. They told us originally those, the subway ones were going to be inside, uh, like giveaway bags or bags. That they were going to have at subways. They were not going to be in the comics. So when those all of a sudden popped in the comics, I was like, what? <laughs> no one told me this. No one told me this. But I hate stuff like that. I hate inserts in a comic where it's like all of a sudden it's like six page short story that has nothing to do with the comic. It's a try to be crazy. Especially and that's when, how those things were. When you're reading like something with like one of the Justice League characters, because you, you you can almost, you, you know, you can't really tell you're reading there. Like, wait, why is Wonder Woman in Cyborg here? And yeah, I do that happen sometimes. I, ha- I still have that. I'll be reading a Marvel book and also be some ad. And I'm like, what? What happened? Like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, this is this is not even the comic anymore. OK, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I think I just happened recently with something, but anyway, yeah. do you have more questions or is that it? <clears throat> yes, there is. There's three more. Okay, cool. We'll do oh. them all and then, well, then I have to okay. then I have to get back to work and then yeah. you guys have to get back to work. So yeah. Um, I'm trying to do some work right now as, as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is from Dave McPhail, who is Kagato mm-hmm. on, on our forums. He says, I had the good fortune to review Ghosted and Nailbiter for a local webpage. How does mm-hmm. someone as nice as Joshua come up with such dark stories? Do they come to him as he sleeps or do they haunt his every waking hour until he puts pen to paper? I'm just dead inside. That's all it is. No, uh, wow. Um, it is a dark place to go. I think that it's just been how my, my brain has been since I was a kid. You know, like I've been young. I've always kind of been a worst case scenario kind of person. You know, like I see someone walking up a, a flight of stairs. My brain automatically goes like, Ooh, what if they fell? Like mm-hmm. that's, just I, how I am. I do that all the time. My wife hates it. Yeah, you can't help it. And I have, I have, if someone calls me and is like, hey, we need to talk, I am always like, what happened? What's wrong? You know, someone like, died. yeah, someone died, whatever. And so because of that, that goes into sort of everything. And that's how Jackson, you know, Jackson is very much the kind of person who says the worst thing you could possibly imagine saying in every given moment. Um, and it's sort of just like, so woe is me and such a pessimist. Um, and then Warren. Warren isn't isn't like Jackson, and neither is Finch. I mean, Finch is definitely like kind of a downer person, but uh, with a lot of these ideas, I don't know, man. I just see that stuff, and I have weird experiences, and I'm very uh, a lot of weird experiences in life. I mean, with Nailbiter, I've talked about it kind of openly, but like I've known people who have had interactions with serial killers, or have had like weird things happen involving serial killers. Uh, myself, you know, when I was a kid, my soccer coach um, was a serial killer. He got arrested, and uh, 
my mom knew someone who ended up being a serial killer. And so these things are just kind of in our lives. And I've been able to observe it and sort of process it differently. And, you know, with, with, with both those books and these horror books, um, yeah, no, just how my brain works, I guess, you know, I start putting stuff down on paper and, and there was a time when I was doing books that were a little more happy and funny and I wasn't happy doing them. So I don't know what that means. I don't know what that exactly translates to psychologically. Um, I'm sure I'm damaged in some way. Uh, so a lot of that kind of goes in there. And I've always been, I've, I've found myself when I was younger all around sort of a criminal element and I picked up things and I've been able to put that in the books. Um, and I've always been drawn to it too, just drawn to horror and drawn to crime. So it's uh, just my way of processing that stuff, it's sort of where these ideas come from. I just think you need to be careful when, when you say nail biter is personal because since the book is about serial killers, people might think, mm-hmm. like, is Josh really a serial killer? Is that what he's trying to tell us? No, but I, I think there is something very interesting about the psychology of a serial killer. They're horrible people, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely horrible. Um, there's a line in Seven that Bendis has actually where he talks a little bit about um, something about this. I don't know how much I want to get into it because I don't want to ruin things, but no, you don't, uh, yeah, don't, don't. I think the mind, I think the mind of a serial killer is tragic and, and, and but at the same time, interesting. Um, and I'll never say I can relate to them, but there are some serial killers. I joke about the dead inside thing, but a lot of people who've known me personally know, um, I don't know word this properly. I joke about being dead inside, but I don't get really like too excited about things. I don't get up mad about things very much. Like I'm very mellow. I'm very like on one path, I suppose. Like I'm very monotone in terms of my emotions and how I am about things. And so it's weird what I get excited about and what I get mad about sometimes. But um, like I, I, it's very rare for me to get, it's very, very rare for me to get angry about something. Um, and then it's also very rare for me to get excited about things. And I remember watching Dexter and there was something in the first episode, Dexter, where he talked about how this is how he was supposed to act around people. And in the books, he like practices his fake laugh and things like that. I don't have a fake laugh, but even though I've been accused of that, um, years ago, Sean Murphy accused me of having a fake laugh. He was joking. He was like, oh, I can always tell when Josh is not really laughing. He's fake laughing about something um, because he thinks he's supposed to laugh. And I was like, that does kind of wrap up how I am. <laughs> um, and so with that, like, I, you know, I've never crossed my mind. It's never crossed my mind wanting to kill somebody. Um, like, that, that's the thing, right? Like, everyone has those moments of like, oh, I want to kill that person. I want that person to die. Like, you're so angry about something. But I think there's a moment in someone's mind where they push it, right? Like, in, in Nailbiter Issue 7, Bendis calls it the murder moment. And, like, I never had that. But people have that. And it's like, what happened to them that pushes them that far? And I've always kind of been curious about that. You know, we, you. we have to do like a, a separate podcast just to talk about Dexter. Cause I, I, I think I told you, I finally finished it. Well, let's talk in New York about it. We can, we can, and, and I'll, or, or podcast. Yeah. 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 We'll have to do just separate, just get into that. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, I, I read the first book, which is like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. That's like, it's very similar to like what I remember the, the first season, but mm-hmm. way different from, from like certain things that happened. So, well, yeah. We'll have oh, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to talk about that. Um, say, so here's one from Tobin Reisikat. He says, Hey, Josh, thanks for printing one of my letters. I love, oh, cool. I love Nailbiter and have my, uh, my sister or gave my sister the first ghosted trade. You seem to really like horror stuff, but who are your favorite superheroes from both Marvel and DC? 
Oh, that's easy. That's a good question. All right, cool. Not so dark. <laughs> um, well, with DC, I obviously I have a Batman tattoo. I love Batman. But my other favorite character, I feel like Batman is like everyone likes Batman. I'm always surprised when I find people that don't like Batman. Um, is Green Arrow. Love Green Arrow. Love him. Like, I love that Arrow show. Um, those are probably my favorites there. I like Hawkman a lot. Love Hawkman. I like Superman, but it's really weird. It's the same thing with Batman in a way where you're kind of like, oh, I like this this character. It's so much the ideal of them. But yeah, Green Arrow and uh, Hawkman. I freaking love those guys. Um, like those are yeah, those are characters I would love to write. Um, at Marvel, I really like Iron Man. Um, I really like Wolverine. Um, I love Spider Man. I love Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Um, it's my Punisher is like. Punisher might maybe be my favorite Marvel character, but that kind of goes back to the dark and crime stuff. Um, oh, man, Daredevil. Freaking Daredevil, man. I love that guy. Um, yeah, like Spider-Man 29 is a character I've always wanted to work on. They know. It's really funny. Both publishers, they, I've, I've been very vocal back when I was trying to work for them. I don't really do that anymore. But when I was trying to work for them, I would talk about it all the time. Uh, I like Ghost Rider a lot. I like Nick Fury. Um and I love all the bad guy characters, like all the for both companies. I think a lot of their bad guy characters are so much fun. Um, yeah. Okay, and then he just says, "What other image books do you read?" It's like I everything. guess the question is, what image books do I not read? Yeah, I don't know. I read a lot of books, man. I read a lot of the image stuff, but I love Sex Criminal. I think Sex Criminal is probably my favorite image book right now. Um, I really like Pretty Deadly. I love Deadly Class. Oh man, East of West is so good. Freaking love East of West. Um, I like Walking Dead. Um, I'm like caught up for the first time, probably in like five, six years. I'm caught up on Invincible, and I love it. Uh, I really like Manifest Destiny. Um, I like Luther Strode. I like uh, The Spread. I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing with that that company. Like, there's really any books that I like don't read for Image right now. Like, I just really enjoy like all of them. I'm looking forward to like a lot of these new books they announced. Um, Slash at, at the last Image Expo in July, yeah. uh, like Black Science, I think is great. Like I like I like a lot of the stuff, man. Stuff so so good. Book in the Divine is great. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of Image books, man. I love them. Yeah, I, I you know I love what, what Rick Remender is doing, but it's interesting. Low, have you read those? The first yeah. two issues. I've read the first one. I've read the second one yet. It's it's like it's not w- how it was described. You know, I'm waiting for you know the big mm-hmm. stories like. You know, you can't live on Earth. People are living underwater. They're trying to find another place, and it's like it's mentioned, but it's like not mm-hmm. the main focus. So I was like, that's yeah. one of those things where you know you see to solicit, and then the comics mm-hmm. a little different. So not always the same. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but it's just interesting. I was like, this is what I thought I was going to read. So it's like, we're that's interesting. It's the same way with East of West. If you go back and go back and reread the East of West um, solicitation. Mm-hmm. Not only read this station, but look at the cover they have listed because the cover for East of West, which was also the cover of previews, that character did not show up in East of West until like issue seven. Yeah, that that was on the original station copy and all that stuff. Like it's really interesting to see how much of a difference it was. Okay, and then Tobin says, "Thanks, keep it up." Uh, last awesome. last question, Johnny Morales. So just got mm-hmm. done reading Nailbiter. What is going on in that troubled but brilliant head of yours? I think we've covered that ground. Yeah. <laughs> we've already established there's probably some kind of damage there from a lifetime of pain. No, I don't know, man. I uh, I don't know, man. I think this is fun, dude. I like horror stuff. You know? That's really what it comes down to. Um, I don't know. Disturbed childhood, maybe. 
it was funny. We were having, we were having, um, we were having uh, breakfast. I told the story. I had breakfast with my girlfriend and her mom. And her mom um, is a teacher, but specializes in kids that have uh, special needs, right? And it's particularly autism and, and that kind of thing. And so we were at um, breakfast, and we were all talking about the mind of a killer. We were talking about the, about people's minds and sort of uh, things that happen, like you miss milestones or whatever happens when you're young and nature nurture. We were having this, this, this whole conversation about it. And uh, we started talking about Jeffrey Dahmer and sort of what was going on with him and, and his life. And, uh, you know, he's a very interesting example of, of nature and nurture because it's like his nurturing of his parents is horrible, but there was something such a deep problem with him. It can't just be that, right? Like there has to be something the, the wires were crossed, right? Like that's always the debate. Um, and so we were joking around about how, you know, where are you on the spectrum, right? And uh, I was talking to her mom, and I was just like, well, I'm sure I'm somewhere on the spectrum. What do you think? And she was like, oh, honey. Like, she had her arm on my shoulder, and she was just like, we don't want to talk about where you're at on the spectrum. <laughs> and I was just like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. You know, like she was like, oh, oh, honey. Like I already know all your stuff. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, but I'm sure there's something going on. Okay. <laughs> it just sort of unlocks. And, and I go out there and I write this stuff, man. I mean, that's the thing with the Outbiter is the Outbiter is, my head is so embedded in that. But it's funny at the same time, like, you know what I was doing right before I got on the phone with you guys? What? Plan a trip to Disneyland out for me and my friends. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to go. Buying this, all this stuff. <laughs> All right. Glad, la- go last quick question. Yeah, go ahead. This is a general question just for everyone. Yeah. And so this is one of those questions that you can't think about. Otherwise we'll be here all day. Yeah. Um, I'll try to answer fast. Yeah. So this is from, and since you, you got to get back to work. Uh, Josh Co says, who is your favorite emerging comic artist? Emerging comic artist. Yeah. Like someone on their way up. I guess so. Yeah. I, I have our artists, our artists on birthright. Like Audrey okay. Brisson, man, I think people are going to be blown away by him, and they're going to look back and they're going to be like, "Oh my god, this guy's been doing books for years, but like never picked up." I think I think he is amazing, but I also like Russell Dodderman, as we talked about before. Mm-hmm. But I think Andre's work on Birthright is so good. Um, I think people are going to be blown away by it, and and Mike too. I think Mike Henderson is a funny example of somebody who's been doing work for a while and can never get work, and now people freaking love him on Nailbiter. Um, so both those guys, man, I think that when we're done with Birthright, we're done with Nailbiter, those guys are going to go on to even bigger and better things. They're going to, you know, do some crazy stuff. What about you, Matt? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> or if, I, I, I have an answer, which... You go ahead first. Um, mine, I guess he's not really emerging, but uh, I would say uh, Andrew Robinson. I wouldn't call him emerging. He's not emerging. You said that, that's the thing, because, you know, yeah, he, he did a bunch of Starman stuff, but I guess I, I just... At least for me, and I hate to say it, I never really noticed him so much. And then oh. it wasn't until like the fifth Beatle. And then now he's been doing, you know, like covers at like DC and, and stuff. So it's, mm-hmm. it's and, and, um, I, you know, I think he did one on the, the new Thor. I just posted a Thor preview. Um, so he's like on my radar now. It's like I, I never, yeah, even, amazing. even, yeah. He's really good. He did a bunch of covers for Hawkman too. Yeah. Yeah. So not, yeah, not emerging, but he's, he's on my radar now. Yeah, I get it. All right, Matt. Come on, Matt. See, I, this is this is tough because everybody I'm thinking of, like, oh, they've been around forever. I want, like, I want to say Becky Cloonan. I'm like, she's been around for yeah. a decade. <laughs> she's amazing too. Yeah, she's so good. 
Um, so good. Well, that artist, I can't remember the artist on her. I can't remember the name of her image book, and I can't remember the artist's name on it, but I think both that, that's going to be an awesome comic. Just everything they showed at uh, Image Expo looked really cool. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm completely uh, Russell Dodderman. Has that been said? Oh, yeah, he's great. <laughs> Josh already said that. I know. I did. I know. But he's awesome. That's not nothing wrong with saying that guy because he is great. Say Mike Allred. He's <laughs> definitely not emerging. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, Darwin he's Cook. Doing... He's new, right? Yeah, Darwin Cook. That's a, that's that. Actually, no, Rod Reese. We'll just call it Rod Reese. That counts. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rod Reese is yeah. The stuff he's doing on uh, Cal is really great. So is yeah. um, man, that Ghost Rider book that uh, Trad, Trad did. Yeah, man, that book was so good. I'm kind he of did such an amazing art. Me too, but I'm glad he's doing the show. Can't argue, you know. Yeah. The trilogy will be complete, and then they'll they'll do some gigantic omnibus, and it'll be all be great. And I'll buy it, and it'll be be awesome. All right. Good. All right. Cool. Yeah. So, buy a uh, buy birthright. The, well, actually, uh, no. Before you order it. Yeah, they got to. That? That's they can't just buy it. They need to like right yeah, as soon as they order, listen to this. Let your comic shops know, man. Like you know, they this stuff's important. I know a lot of people they don't realize it, but pre-ordering is important. Um, and talking to your friends and talking to comic shops. I mean, word of mouth is the, is the best thing for our industry. I know we talk a lot about all this stuff, but like right now, like talking to you guys, listening to this podcast, and just talking about things. That's how. That's how these things get, you know, done. Because get, not just popular, but make sure people can get their hands on it. Because I'll see so many people like, "Oh, my store sold out of this." Like, you, first of all, I'm I'm kind of blown away. People don't have pull lists, and yeah. and you know, I, I get that some people, you know, limited budget, and they'll kind of like pick and choose. They don't want to commit to something, but it's like if there's certain things, it's like you know that you know they're not going to be overly ordered. So it's yep. like you got to talk to your comic store, say, "Hey, man, set one aside for me." Yeah, especially image books, especially number ones. Yeah, yeah. You know, get it on the ground floor. I, I, I see constantly people talking about how hard it was to get them nailed by our number one. Um, so it's not when you pre-order it. Nope, nope. nope. As long not as your comic copy. shop, <laughs> as long as your comic shop gets them, that's all that matters. And Diamond doesn't short them. Uh, you know, make sure you get stuff. it. But anyway, yeah, pre-order birthright, get that nail biter trade. You know, let your comic shop know. Otherwise, cool. thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you guys like my comics and keep reading them. And you know, I'm really glad everyone's enjoying this stuff this year. It's been pretty awesome. Okay. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. So that was Joshua Williamson. So get or like again, go to your comic store as soon as you listen to this. Call them up. Say, hey, I want to read. I want to buy Birthright. It's going to be really cool because. Otherwise, and if if you're reading Nailbiter, you, you should have seen the preview in the back of um Nail, yeah. Nail issue five, and get Nailbiter, get the trade. The trade's not out yet, but trade's coming out very soon. Comes out when issue six comes out. Yeah, so if if you haven't been reading it or if, if it's sold out, get the trade. Get I mean that that's a great series. Get Ghosted. There's two trades out. No, well, that's my favorite series right now, Ghosted. So hmm, that's a, I I don't know. I I think I might like Nailbiter a little more. We, we can talk I'm about actually ghost is i think my favorite series period right now it actually beat out saga for me so hmm, interesting don't tell anybody that because they're gonna get mad we're gonna have brian cave on next week and you can tell him no i'm kidding i am so intimidated by that guy he's he's probably too busy i don't yeah. know i've never talked to him i've never met him i gotta neither right i was supposed to interview him at san diego and it got canceled i gotta find him in a line i guess uh, look for yeah stand a, in line a bald guy I'm, with a business card say I, i'm bald and have business cards yeah i don't know if that'll work Okay. All right. So that's the show. Um, 
Yeah, I always. This is the point where I think it's like, it's like, who's gonna be on next week? And then I have like, you know, got to start scrambling to figure that it out. out. Yeah. Well, that, there's like a couple things that may. Be, actually, I might have two people lined up, which is gonna be interesting because yeah, I got to talk to you later about that because. Yeah, it might be. What well, am I going to be on that one too? <laughs> you, you might be. <laughs> we, we might have to record it. Uh, well, in the middle, in the midst of the Friday podcast, we may oh, have okay. to pause that and then shift gears. So, we'll, we'll see. I'm going to be on all three podcasts every week, apparently. Now, yeah, yeah, and then pretty soon you can take them all, and I'll just sit back and. Oh God! So much talking. I'm so tired. Yeah. For well, now welcome to my life. I mean, there, there's yeah. times I I would do like two on one day, and then the Friday one, and it was just. Uh, it's insane, but all right. And people need to hear this. So, yeah, <laughs> so, so th- thanks everyone. Uh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you on the other podcast some more. We will. All right. Bye everyone. So, so my question, my is, question is, is, could it be? We don't know. I would like to ask you which comic book best affected you most emotionally. That's the question. I'll shake your head. I love Alan This is a John Byrne. I love Alan Davis. I, I, I wasn't a fan of this. That's the question. You can't blame the immediate creative team. I give this a two. <laughs>